Good morning. This morning we are kicking off a new little series called Priceless. And these, it's a short little series. These next three weeks, we're going to be talking about what matters most and what doesn't. And how easily we can get those things mixed up. Any Beatles fans in the house? Anybody? We got some hands there. I married into a family who, they, they appreciated the Beatles, but they were a monkeys family, right? It seemed like Mel was all about the monkeys. And, and there, I realized there was a rivalry. I didn't know that existed growing up because I don't even think we were allowed to listen to the Beatles growing up. But the, the Beatles versus the monkeys. Anyway, the Beatles, 60 years ago, I looked this up, just 60 years ago, like next month, they released a song that took the world by storm. And that song was, Can't Buy Me Love. Right now, you're singing it in your head, aren't you? Yep, you're saying, I'm not even gonna try, don't, don't worry. Can't buy me love, and the Beatles knew something. They know it, it's obvious, they know it. We should know this, and that is that you can't use money to acquire love. And all of us would agree with that. We would be like, yeah, the Beatles were right, right? Of course you can't buy love, that's, that's, that's silly. That's what other people do, but not us, right? But in this series, we wanna explore ways that uh, we sometimes do that very thing without even realizing it. And then we want to look at how we can trade that life of chasing that lie for a life full of joy and full of peace and wonder. It's a life that money cannot buy. Now, just to kind of set the expectation, this little series isn't really gonna be about buying things in general. And I'm not going to give you like the seven steps for getting out of debt, though if you live this out, you'll, you'll be on your way to that too. But this is a series about something deeper. It's a series about something more subtle and even more dangerous. It's a series about our inner motivations, the inner wounds that some of us have that make us more vulnerable to using money and resources in unhealthy ways. We're going to especially focus on what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm excited about that because I love talking about Jesus. We've spent the last kind of month uh, focusing on some stories from the Old Testament. So I'm super excited to be back, back in Jesus land. Um, and we're going to talk about what Jesus has to say and some of the inner struggles that often cause us to, to try to fill our, uh, a need in our lives. It's a need that only God can fill. And, I, and that sounds like a cliche, right? Everybody's heard the cliche, you know, we all have this God-shaped hole in our life, in our hearts, and only God can fill it. Um, and we try to stuff it with other things. But, you know, sometimes a cliche is a cliche for a reason because there's some truth in it, right? And it captures some, some real truth. And it's especially important, I think, coming right now as we're approaching the Christmas season. It's, it's on the way and all of the wonderful opportunities we're all going to have to go into debt and get really stressed out. So I think this is very timely. In the next three weeks, we're leading up to Advent, uh, which is in a couple of weeks. We're, we're going to explore how we can let Jesus shape us. We want to let Jesus tell us how to live, even how to spend our money and where we invest our energy instead of just, you know, the alternative is just going along with whatever the culture says, the world around us, what its idea, the world around you has an, has an idea of what it means to be a good patriotic consumer. Um, and that is someone who spends more and more and more and for the sake of our growing economy, even though it's going to make you stressed out and going to make you go more in debt and make you broke and probably contribute to selfishness in some way. The world doesn't care about that. It just wants you to be a good consumer, right? So we're going to learn an, another way to live. Sound fun? And here's why this series, uh, I think, is so important. One of our primary just 
reasons for existing here at Generations is to help each other become more like Jesus, right? We've got that written somewhere, right? Generations Church exists to help each other become more like Jesus. We want to become, by definition, disciples. Disciples. And a disciple is very interesting. A disciple is someone who uh, is not just someone who says the words, Jesus is my Savior. I mean, that's great. But that kind of, you know, you can, that, you can say, Jesus is my Savior and be a fan. I'm a fan of Jesus, right? But a disciple is someone who says, Jesus is my Lord. He's the one who has the right to tell me how to live. To, and, and a disciple is someone who says, I want to be his student. I want to be his apprentice. It means, Jesus, I really want to be mentored by you. I want to be changed by you. I want to become more like you. And then we put that into practice. That's a disciple. Because we do have a word, right, for people who go to church all the time and participate in religious activities, but don't actually commit themselves to any life change. We have a word. What's that word? It starts with an H. Hypocrite, right? It's the H word we don't want to say. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to be a hypocrite, right? And, you know, statistically, it's, it's been shown over the years that it's the number one pre- reason people don't go to church. They say because the church is full of hypocrites. Right, right. And so we would say, well, let's help each other not be a hypocrite. Sounds good. We want to offer each other the tools for life change. And that's why we're here or else why are we here at all? Amen? Amen. To experience the blessings of discipleship is to learn to put what Jesus says into practice. And we're going to do it imperfectly, of course. We never do anything perfectly. We're going to do it imperfectly, but we're going to put his lessons into practice. And it turns out Jesus really had a lot to say on this subject about the the things that drive our motivations and and tempt us with, you know, the false promises of happiness and love and acceptance. And so, you know, I believe it's possible. Do you believe it's possible we could actually learn lessons about rich, uh, you know, spiritual maturity, deep progressing discipleship while learning about things like money and finances? I think it's possible. In fact, you know, this is one of the things that Jesus talks about the most. The thing, we can learn about things that even affect our very practical lives, like what we purchase at a store. And it's not only possible because this is a core theme of Jesus, that, that as we work out our discipleship, as we follow him and listen to him, that we will see real heart change when we use the arena of material things to do so. And so Jesus talks about this, I think more than any other topic, how, as far as how we live that out, the way of the kingdom in our life. Okay, so that's kind of our series introduction right there. Are you ready to dive in today? Uh, Here's the big idea for today. It's really the big idea for every message that's ever preached here at Generations Church. This is our big idea, and it's this. Everything that exists, all of reality everything that exists comes from a relationship. There is an eternal relationship that is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, out of which everything that exists has come. He's, he existed before everything else. He's, he's always been. And, and this relationship existed before anything else did, and it created every single thing that is real came out of this relationship We're even told in Scripture that reality is is still held together by this relationship. But the relationship came first. And so what we have is a picture of God, not just as this being, you know, sitting out in nothingness, 
But God is this actively loving thing. Even before we were here to love, right? He was a loving thing. That means that relationship is the center of our being. It's the center of our identity and our purpose. And I've said it before, anything that really matters is about relationship. Anything that really matters is about relationship. And if it's not about relationship, it really doesn't matter. And so when, like uh, this summer, we looked at, we did a study of 1 John. If you remember back in chapter 4, 1 John, the apostle says, God is love. And when he says that, he's saying something really profound. God is love. And that's different than saying that God is loving, right? Because anybody can be loving, right? I mean, most of you are loving, but to be love, to be love, you, there, you need the giver and the receiver, right? You need interaction. And so God within his own being is love and he has always been love. And so this sets our, our compass, right? This, our focus for everything that we do. And if we don't tap into that reality and prioritize it, what happens is we'll be tempted to turn to whatever it is our culture tells us in order to fill our need for intimacy. And we will turn to other things. Different cultures, by the way, will have different temptations. We're speaking as uniquely from a kind of a Western American, you know, if you really want to drill down a Texan, North Houston culture, right? But, but different cultures have different temptations. If we were sitting around talking right now as villagers in a house church in South Asia, um, you know, we, we, we would be talking about something different. This sermon would have a, probably a different focus. In the West, it's materialism. That's our temptation, right? It's actually stuffing our hearts with stuff. That's just who, that's, that's what we have to deal with, materialism. And, you know, advertisers know it. Every time you turn on the television or you go on the internet or something like that, advertisers know it. They, this, that we, uh, they tell us that we need their product but really, it's to have what we want more in life, right? It's not just, they're not just selling their product. They're selling happiness. They're selling uh, meaning and love, right? And sometimes they're very bold about it, right? I, I found these two ads here. This is one from The Gap. My goodness. Whew, be still my heart. Young love. That's what Mel looks like when she's kissing me when I come home. I don't want to put a picture of us because, you know, it weird you out, but yeah. Um, yeah, love. It's not, it's not saying clothes are going to make you feel better. No, what is it saying? Love. That's what they're selling. Here's Subaru. Share the love, right? They're not selling you a car. They're selling you love, right? Oh. Buy the product, get more love. Buy the product, get more love. That's what our culture tells us. And this is our weakness because we see this and, you know, your, your outer brain might be like, I'm not going to fall for that. I'm gonna, where's the Subaru? Uh, but this, you know, this, this is what we, they know we crave. Um, but you know what? You can't buy love. The Beatles were right. You can't buy me love. Although, ironically, that song bought them like millions of fans. <laughs> but you can't buy real relationships, you know, or intimacy. You can't buy meaning. You can't buy purpose or joy or peace. You cannot buy love. You can only give it, and you can only receive it, you can only share it. And that is what Jesus invites us into. He invites us into a love relationship with him that transforms us, truly transforms us, shapes us. It challenges us. It's going to challenge us, challenge us sometimes. 
but it rewards us because the relationship itself is the reward. More than anything else we get out of it, just the relationship itself is the reward. Okay, now let's go to the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. We're going to be kind of camping in the Sermon on the Mount for these next couple weeks. Jesus deals with this issue from several different angles. And he's not always talking specifically about materialism and buying power, because again, that's kind of our Western, you know, that's, that's our thing. But he does get to that in this chapter. He starts off by talking about religious experience. And, but the principle applies to us. That there is a need to find acceptance, to find our value and our worth for some people in the applause of others, Right? I need to be noticed. I need to get my ego needs met from other people. And, and I'll fall into that pattern, absolutely, right? Many of us will. And we can fall into that when I am not getting my ego needs met through the love of God. And so Jesus addresses this, which again, in their culture, buying issues are not the main temptation. It's really about, he, he approaches it through religious ritualism, going through the motions, um, in our culture, that can be an issue for sure, uh, but so is spending. And in my life, the hours that I spend working so that I can get the money, so that I can spend the money on meeting my ego needs rather than in the service of other people. So let's start with looking at verse 1. Jesus is going to be, uh, he's going to talk about the Pharisees. Now he's talking to his disciples, so that's you and me. He's talking about the Pharisees and their religious addiction to appearance. And you're going to see how this applies to our addiction to appearance. Uh, we just get expressed in different ways. But verse 1 is the one that is really the verse that sums it all up. Like his whole teaching is really right here. And he'll go on to use three examples. Uh, the example of giving, the example of prayer, and the example of fasting. We're only going to look at one of those. But here's everything that Jesus has to say in a nutshell. Verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he says, be careful, watch out. Especially those of you, he's saying, who are committed to a life of doing good things. It's going to be tempting for you to do those things in front of others. So that, in other words, he's, he's, he, we're talking about motive here, so that you can be seen doing good deeds. Now, understand Jesus is using a rabbinical technique. He's, he's using exaggeration to make a point. Being seen doing good is not itself a sin, right? We know that. Jesus just said, in fact, if you, go, if you flip your page back to chapter 5, he said this, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Isn't that interesting? So doing good together as a community being that city on a, on a hill, right? Being the light that's not hidden. It's not wrong that we're seen doing good and representing God's good kingdom. But he says to be careful not to do your deeds in front of others so that you would be seen and glorified. What's a better motivation for doing good? Out of love, right? Doing good out of love because Jesus loves them and we, want, we love them and Jesus served others and I want to be a little more like Jesus and, and that chapter five so that they will learn to love God. They will glorify God, right? And so if my motive is to be discipled and if that's, I get up every day, you know, if that's, if that's my motive is today, Lord, I want to be discipled in the way of Jesus. Well, then I can do whatever I do and I can be seen by anyone, 
And, and I mean, obviously, I'm not standing up here hidden behind a shroud so that you, I've got my identity hidden, right? But if, if my motive is conformity to Jesus, well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But once my motive changes and I want to do my good deeds so that I will be seen, so that I will be noticed, when now as my ego grows, my soul shrinks. I am now no longer doing good in order to love other people because I value them. I'm doing good in order to use others to meet my ego needs. It's like a spiritual vampire. I'm just using people to feed my ego. Consider this. This is interesting. On the outside, a disciple and a Pharisee look exactly the same. A Pharisee doesn't wear a big sign that says, I'm a Pharisee. I'm doing this to meet my ego needs. On the outside, a disciple and a Pharisee look exactly the same. They're both doing good. And, but Jesus is talking about a heart issue here. There's a difference in motivation here. Jesus is always talking about the heart. That's just how he rolls. He's always getting to the heart. What's the root cause? What's going on? Let's deal with that. And remember again, he's saying this to disciples. He's ta- so he's teaching this Sermon on the Mount. Now there's other people watching. The crowds are coming in. They're listening too. But he's teaching disciples He's telling, he's teaching people who have already signed up for following him. And he's telling them, watch out. You can be on the path of discipleship and get sidetracked into the way of the hypocrites, right? And and your motives will start to get twisted. So let's look at how he gives an example of this. When we go to verse two, remember there's three illustrations he's going to give. We're just going to look at the first one. Uh, He repeats this pattern again on prayer and he preaches on fasting. But look what he says here about giving. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in these synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. These are literally people who toot their own horn. Truly, I tell you, they have their received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, again, remember, Jesus, is, he's a good rabbi here. Uh, the, this idea of secrecy doesn't mean that we have, like, messed up if somebody finds out that we did something, right? The right hand, not knowing what the left hand is doing, is simply this rabbinical way of saying that we're, we're not keeping track of what we're doing with each other, right? We're not keeping score. When I'm driving my car, if I have both hands on the wheel like they taught me I'm supposed to, right? This hand is not like looking over at this hand to see if he's impressed, right? Do you see what I did? Do you see what I just did? No, do you see what I did? Right? The hands are doing that. They're, they're just doing what they do, right? So we don't compare ourselves to others. We're not looking for recognition. And the point is that when we give, when we love, when we serve, we're not doing it so that, you know, we can brag to the rest of the church. That's not the point. And so we understand when Jesus is saying these, these things, we're not, he's not instituting a law of secrecy, right? This is a principle that helps us live the life of love. It's not something we're going to police, but it is something we're going to practice if we want to be a disciple of Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 2. The other thing, at the very end of it, he says this. He says, these people who want to be seen by others, what does he say happens to them? 
they do receive a reward. So it's not that they don't receive a reward. Isn't that cool? They receive the reward that they wanted. Everyone gets the reward you want. It's like Christmas, right? This is the good news and the bad news. You will receive the reward you really want. The question is, what reward do you really want? If you're doing something so that you will be seen by others, God says, oh, that's why, okay, well, there you go. Enjoy the recognition. But if you're doing something so that you can be conformed to the image of Christ because you want to love him and you want to love others and you want to be in the service of other people, Jesus says, oh, I will give you more of me, right? I will, I will give you more shaping into my image, into the person that you ultimately want to be. I will teach you how to love all the more, right? And you'll get whichever reward you actually are looking, looking for. This is a fascinating principle of getting the reward you want. Jesus said this another way in, oh, back over in John chapter 5. He says this again to the religious leaders. He says, how can you believe when you receive praise from each other, but you don't seek the praise that comes from the only God? So there's your problem again, he says. You can't follow me. You can't be my disciple when you're obsessed with getting praise from each other rather than praise from God. I think that's really interesting. The Bible talks a few times about God's desire to, to, to give us praise, to give us glory, which is amazing. And we learn that God really wants to cheer for us. He does. He wants to celebrate us as we celebrate him. He wants to praise us. He wants to say, well done. But if that's not why we're, we're living, we're actually living for the praise of other people. Well, we'll get that, but we're not walking in the way of discipleship. So we want to ask ourselves, ask yourself for a moment, where am I in this? Do I, think about just all the different areas of our life. Do I dress to be seen? What about when I go to work? Do I work to be seen and noticed? Is it like everything I do, I hope my boss notices, you know, what I've done? Because the Bible says that we should work as, we should work hard as worship to God, whether people see us or not. Do I work out at the gym to be seen? Clearly not my temptation. <laughs> Do I give to be seen? Do I pray to be seen? Do I sing to be seen? I, like, totally honest. Like, you know, I sit there on the front row, usually during the song service, and I'm the worship, and I'll be singing along, and there's this weird little voice sometimes that'll jump up and go, uh... I wonder, I bet, I bet somebody's watching you with your hands up. And it's so gross. And I, you know, it's like one of those things you're like, where in the world did that come from? Who cares who's looking at me with my hands, right? But it's like, it's those, like we talked about last week, those thoughts that we've got to capture those things, crucify those things, right? It's like something that's just in the DNA. There's always that temptation to do something to be seen or to wonder who's, who's watching, who's looking at me. What do I, I wonder what I look like, right? Some of us, are addicted to people-pleasing. And this isn't like, it doesn't make you evil. It makes you human, you understand? Some of us are addicted to people-pleasing. And so people may admire you because uh, you're a really nice person. You help folks. But even then, you realize our motive can be off. I'm doing this because I need you to like me, right? 
And some of us need to be liberated from that and to say, no, I want to be, I want to be a nice person. I want to bless other people, but I will not use them to meet my ego needs as a people pleaser, right? Jesus wants to disciple us. He wants to mentor us. And sometimes that means Jesus gets all up in our business, right? So we just have to let him, we just have to let him talk to us. Now, these things that I'm talking about, these examples I'm using might not be you or might not be, you know, one of them might be you, not all of them. Some of us are good in order to be seen. Some of us are bad in order to be seen, right? We love the image of the, of the bad boy, the party animal, right? The rebel. Check me out on Instagram. Look how much of a rebel I am that I don't care. Woo, check me out. Look, see how many likes I get. Because we live in that culture, don't we? Like, look at me, see me, right? It's all about, I have to promote my life. How do I better promote myself, my brand? I got to promote, I want, you know, this is my product. I am my own marketing firm. I got to make sure I'm being seen. And this is the way of anti-discipleship when it comes to Christ. And so you just got to make your choice. We got to choose. Do you want to be a product of culture or do you want to be a product of Christ? Many of us think, you know, I think because we go to church, I go to church, I believe some things, that makes me a Christian. And Jesus is like, yeah, well, you're not really a follower of me. You're a follower of culture, right? That's not being a Christian, that's being a culturean, right? The, uh, the late great author, scholar Dallas Willard in the book Divine Conspiracy. He said this, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus alerts us to the two main things that will block or hinder our healthy growth in the kingdom. Two things, the desire to have the approval of others and the desire to secure ourselves by means of material wealth. Just so insightful and true. So, I want to make this super practical. We've kind of given you some scripture and some theory here. Let's make it super practical, okay? Um, each week in this little series, I want to look at some, uh, some proposals. These are, I'm calling these December resolutions, okay? Everybody's, you know about New Year's resolutions, right? We all make New Year's resolutions and then you forget about them three weeks later, right? Um, but let's be honest, I mean, that's great to make a, a New Year's resolution coming up. But when it comes to the stress of Christmas and all the buying and all the going into debt and the overeating and the fighting the crowds and forgetting what Jesus' birthday is all about, January 1 is already too late, right? The damage is done. So let's, let's get ahead of the game. Let's make some pre-Advent, pre-Christmas decisions now and rock this holiday um, it, with more peace, more joy, more kingdom perspective than ever before. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah. yeah. All right. So these are things that I'm committing to. I'm, I'm, I'm going to encourage my family uh, to embrace these, my friends. I'm going to hopefully inspire all of you to embrace these. And I'm just going to give you a couple today. These are just two December resolutions. We're just going to start with two and we'll incorporate some more over the coming weeks. That way it's not overwhelming and we have a chance at success. All right, here's December resolution number one. Here we go. I will not buy things to be seen, but to live. Now this one has more to do with what you're purchased for yourself. Well, let's pause right here. For some of us, the things that we buy, one of the main driving forces is, how am I going to look in this? What will other people think 
of me after I purchased this. Hmm. It may be clothes, maybe a car, maybe jewelry, maybe like some really great new lawn tractor you're into, you know, and everybody on the other, on the street has one but you. And I'm not saying it's wrong to buy things that, you know, look nice. What I'm saying is though, if this is your addiction, this is kind of what propels you, and only you know that, right? Then you may need to kind of have a cold turkey moment at least for a period of time, right? Does that make sense? And, and what happens is we, we kind of can have, so it's like fasting. You fast something, and then later, perhaps, you can come back and engage in it in a healthy way. So for some of us, we are so addicted to appearance in our culture, this culture that shouts, look at me! Um, it, it, sometimes it's healthy to just say, you know what? I am going to try buying an item of clothing because it is comfortable, it is practical and financially within my budget. What would that be like? And some of you just tuned out and said, that was the most boring part of any message, Scott, you have ever preached in your entire life, that last 10, sentence, that 10, 10 seconds there. Some of you are like, to buy something simply because it is affordable and comfortable, like I would die, right? To buy something and not care how it looks, I would die. And if that's how you feel, then obviously the problem is worse than we thought with you. And so maybe, maybe this is definitely for you. And like I said, if, if total cold turkey, like I'm not going to buy a single thing that, you know, other than maybe for you, just commit to buying one item, like of clothing, take for instance, one item of clothing that's going to be practical instead of fashionable. Now, is there something wrong with, you know, a fashion statement? Of course not. But if that's your addiction, then step away, because that's wisdom, right? If you're a shopaholic, then be honest about that and step away. Don't let it rule you one more day. If there's anything in your life that at the end of the word is aholic, you need to step away, right? Don't play with it. And how do we know if it's an addiction? If we suggest stepping away and you go, no way, Jose, <laughs> right? Now, we can also let this inform how you even shop for presents this Christmas, which leads us to December resolution number two. I will not give to be seen, but to bless. Guys, we're five days away from Black Friday. So this is very, very important. Even in the gifts that I buy, the things that I spend money on, we are going to be tempted to go into debt and to be able to say, I'm not going to buy something and say, oh, they're going to think that I'm so awesome. I'm going to buy this present. They're going to think I'm so awesome. They're going to look at me and go, oh, you're the best, right? It's going to rock. This is going to be amazing. See, we can even give, which sounds like a really good thing. That's generous, right? We can give and it really be about us. And, and, and we're just like, oh, what do you think, huh? Hmm, how great am I, right? I got you the thing, right? Instead, what if, what if, and again, we're being discipled by Jesus, not always easy. What if we're actually saying, what will bless them? What will bless my friend, my family member, whoever this is, really bless them? Whether they know or not, it's from me. Whether they care, whether they remember to say thank you or whatever, what will bless them, right? Practice other-centeredness, even in how we give and how we shop for other people. 
Here's another one. Give not worried if you have reached a sufficiently expensive price point to be acceptable culturally or admired for the price point, but more interested in just blessing them because we love them. This, this is perfect for them. I'm, I'm getting this for them because they need this. This is the thing, right? What if we shopped that way? Now, I want to offer a little extra tip here. For those of you who, if you were being really honest right now, and I'm not going to ask you to, you know, raise your hand or anything. If you're being really honest, if you're like, I I do things to be seen. And you would really like to overcome this mindset. If that's you, here's a tip. It's really simple. It's something you can do for a time. And if that's your area of weakness, to be very intentional, I encourage you, practice the spiritual discipline of hiddenness or it's called the discipline of secrecy. In other words, what you say is, I want to do some intentionally radical, generous things for which I get no credit. And for a season of time, it's not necessarily forever, but for a season of time, I'm going to live that way. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to an extreme. And, but it's a spiritual discipline that you can, you can do. And what it does is it begins to help us detox from that addiction. So for some, that may be something to think about, the month of the rest of November or the month of December, practice the discipline of hiddenness or secrecy. And that doesn't mean you also that you just go about your normal life uh, without boasting. It means that you intentionally go and do radical, other-centered, blessing kind of things for which you get no credit. And it begins, what it does is it like exercises muscles in your soul that may have atrophied. Okay, so there's two practical ways. We're just going to start the series with that. That we can put our confession, Jesus is Lord, we're going to put it into practice. When it comes to our money, to, to where we receive acceptance, where we, where we get our ego needs filled this Christmas season. And my hope is that those of us who truly desire to walk that path of discipleship, that, that's, that this become a target because this is what Jesus is speaking to here. Uh, may we not be distracted by the world. May we focus on Jesus. May we say, thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for stopping me from going astray, Jesus. I want to love you back with all my heart. And then we recalibrate when necessary, right? So that Jesus can truly be our full reward. Uh, As we wrap it up today, I want to uh, invite us to partake of communion together. And you can be getting that ready. You have the little, the cup and the juice. Jesus invites us to come and eat with him at his table. That video that we just saw talks about the table. And I love that image that the God of the universe offers us a seat beside him at his table to share not just in a ritual, but in a reality. He invites us to connect with him in a relationship that is the ultimate reward. The reward is the relationship. And in communion, we receive Jesus' love. We receive his grace, his forgiveness, 
Communion is where we celebrate being adopted by God and loved by God. It's a relationship we could never afford to purchase. We could never earn it, but it is freely offered to us. And today, I just want to invite you, if any of this kind of struck home with you, this act of communion today can also be a moment where you crucify some of those attachments to being seen, to being recognized, the people-pleasing, the, the status-seeking, and let Christ reform you into more of his image. Communion is a, is a place, it's the table. We come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. This is where we may come as sinners, but we leave as saints. This is where we come as broken, but we leave as whole. It's the table we can come hungry and leave satisfied. This is the moment where we meet Jesus, and he, he meets us there. In this simple cup, and this little wafer, Jesus meets us in our need and in our humility, and he offers us new life in the form of his presence. Can I just pray for us, and then we'll take this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word, Lord God. Thank you for the teachings of Jesus, Lord God. And I, Lord, I stand here and I humbly repent. I'm sorry for those times that I have prioritized the approval of others, the acceptance, the love, the applause, the praise of others over you. And Lord, we repent for how we have used people that you love to meet our ego needs. We repent for the ways that we've been a hypocrite, claiming one thing, but really we're living for ourselves. And we thank you, Lord God, for your love, your forgiveness, your sacrifice, your faithfulness to forgive us, Lord. Thank you. And I praise you, Lord God, that today that your Holy Spirit, even now, is continuing to remind us of just the incredible blessing of seeking you, seeking you first, putting your kingdom above all. May we only seek, Lord, an audience of one. And teach us that when it comes to materialism and wealth, that enough is enough. We don't need to grasp for more. May your love fill our hearts, Lord God, or fill our lives so that we can offer love and blessing to other people, so that we can have that generous spirit with other people and, and do it out of love, not to fill any ego need. We want to represent you well in the world, Lord. Jesus, I, I look forward to the miracles that you are going to do inside of us in these coming weeks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. The body of Christ broken for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The blood of Christ shed for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. The Lord is good, isn't he? Amen. Would you stand to your feet today as our prayer partners are coming forward? If there's anything 
you need someone to just stand with you and pray about, they would love to pray with you. Whatever it is, a healing in your body or a financial need going on. If you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, so you want to, maybe you've been far from God for a long time, or maybe you've, you've never really like made that decision for Jesus. You've never made him Lord. You've never like given him permission to, to mentor you and to shape you. Today would be a wonderful day to come forward, let these beautiful people pray with you. They would love to just lead you in that prayer and that next step. You don't have to be perfect. None of us are. You don't have to have it all figured out. None of us do. We just follow Jesus. We follow in his footsteps and it's the best life imaginable. I encourage you to do that. Amen. Amen. Uh, Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and pour out his mercy on you in this world that we're living in. I hope you have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Grace and peace be with you. Bye-bye.